everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Comfortable Change. I'm your host, Danny. I'm joined again today by Susan Brown. Uh, so we're going to continue our series we've been doing recently. And today we're going to start out by talking about privilege and coping with the world we live in, or at least start that conversation. And just as a little bit of a, a disclaimer, we had planned this episode several weeks ago, not really knowing what the future would hold and what things would look like right now. And this is a pretty big conversation to have. So we obviously won't get around to everything today since it's such a broad topic. But the plan is to go ahead and talk about what we had planned on and perhaps address some other ideas and current events later in future episodes. So welcome back, Susan. Thank you so much for being here again. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I appreciate the acknowledgement of what's happening in the world today with current events and all kinds of things are happening. But right now with, with Israel, it's uh, a lot of people are, are struggling. So we just wanted to make sure to say that. Yes. So today I thought we would kind of start out by talking about maybe the definition of privilege itself. I know you had done some research on that, Susan. So I, th I figured that'd be a good place to start. Privilege, if we look at the actual definition, is a, a special right, advantage, or immunity granted or available to a particular person or group or something that is regarded as a special honor, the right of a lawyer or official to refuse or divulge confidential information. And this is, so this is all coming from the technical definition Phrases like check your privilege <laughs> uh, used <laughs> to suggest that someone should recognize that their attitudes or views reflect the fact that they are inherently privileged or, or in an advantageous position in the particular social category or categories to which they belong. And then there's an example of read a book or two about racism and get out of the suburbs and check your privilege. The dictionary definition of this and Oftentimes, when the subject of privilege comes up nowadays, specifically, we think of um, all the work being done related to civil rights, anti-racism, sexism, things like that, diversity, equity, and inclusion, projects, committees, and this conversation about what is privilege and how that ties to power and the, the power that people have in different positions. Uh, it's a really important topic and to be aware of, especially as people who have more privilege than others. So now I'm kind of like <laughs> moving into a little bit of my own definition here. But I think that's why we really wanted to talk about it today is not just privilege from, from the perspective of the conversations that are being had, related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, but also the privilege of being alive, having resources, having wealth at different capacities. If we want to get in there, we're talking about institutional privilege and race and gender and, and, and everything. So I think I'll stop there because that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I like that, though, because that's it can be a difficult conversation to have. It's just very complex. And so I'm glad we kind of have a definition and like some things to think about because it's a little bit hard for some sometimes to understand. And that's kind of what we wanted to to talk about, because there are so many different 
ways of understanding privilege and of different types of privilege and a lot of misunderstandings, I think, because a lot of people will feel like, oh, well, I'm not privileged because I have X, Y, and Z. I think that's an important thing to address because I I remember for myself, at least, just as like a quick example, when I first heard like the term white privilege, I didn't fully get it. It took me a minute for several reasons. But I think for me, I, as some of you know, if you've listened to like one of my first episodes, I think I talked about how, so I have a a seizure disorder, just technically considered disability. So I'm like, oh, well, I can't be privileged at first. And then I had to like sit with it and I did a lot more research and I was like, oh, wait, I'm wrong. I'm very wrong. There's just a lot to unpack there. But just as a a topic, I think it's something that takes a long time to process unless it's something that you've experienced or if you experience not having certain privileges, as it were. I don't know if I'm making sense. So correct me if I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're making sense. It's the important thing to be aware of is intersectionality of the different identities that we all have. So what you just brought up of, okay, so I have a seizure disorder. I'm a person with disabilities. I am female, I am white, (laughs) I am this, I am that, right? So the intersectionality of each each of those, that's you as a unique individual, I have my own. And then if you take other folks and intersectionalities, let's say you have a person who is a female, black, and lesbian. There's like a place where that female is... Usually we have a lot of things that we're still struggling with that have to do with equality. So that female aspect is one thing, just one, right? Black, that's a whole nother thing <laughs> of what's happening with race and, and racism. And so when a person has black skin, what are they having to face? That's another identity intersectionality Those two are intersecting and make a unique representation of who that person is, female, black, and then lesbian. That's another identity, your sexual orientation. That is also another group of people that are marginalized and misunderstood and and treated horrifically. And is a lot of work being done to create more equality or equity for all three of those groups. So if you're if you're that person who identifies with all all of those, you've got multiple intersectionalities of different identities that you're having to work with on a daily basis of the way that people treat you. And that's huge for for mental health. And once folks start to kind of learn more, like you said, you did some research and kind of realized like, oh, (laughs) wait a minute, maybe I do have some privileges in this particular category of identity. Maybe I don't as a person with disabilities, I still need to work with when people are treating me poorly or I don't, or it seems as if I don't have the same rights. So there's that, but then there's also, okay, well, I'm white and we know that that is based on our history and the way our system is and the way we're acculturated, that we have advantages. I am also a white female, and we don't even know that we have those advantages until we start to admit, accept, take a look at them. Well, where do I? 
for a lot of white folks, it's the experience of not even knowing that you have the privilege, listening to the people around you saying, hey, you might want to take a look at that. (laughs) And then going, wait a minute, do I? And then taking it upon yourself to go look and do the research, do the self-exploration and do the work to listen and see and hear and read and experience things and start to embody and empathize with what our fellow people are telling us and then accepting it within ourselves. And there's like a whole developmental process that happens for white people in order to accept that they have privilege. But it it usually starts with a complete denial, detachment, numbness, apathy, or straight up blind spot and a a whole process of uncovering it. I do want to say that Danielle and I have discussed like we're going to spend more time on this topic specifically in another episode because it's a really big topic. But this today is kind of like the <laughs> the more general discussion of privilege and coping with things going on in the world. So I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole of what is white privilege and the specific topic of that and the developmental process that happens for white people in becoming undoing racism within themselves. We'll spend <laughs> a whole episode on that. That was so well said. That was so well said. I I thank you for like giving such a detailed yet understandable description of, of all that. I appreciate that. As Susan just said, like we, there are so many subcategories to this. We're going to, we're going to need more than one episode for sure. And What does this have to do with change? It feels sometimes like we're way over there. Like we started in the center with change and now we're sort of spider webbing out into these topics. But I think this is really important in terms of change, because if you know more about who you are as a person related to your privilege and power and the changes and conscious change. So like Danielle's example of Well, I went to go do research and learn more. And then I realized and had these aha, it's there's change that happens to us externally and then internally. And then there's our own conscious change and betterment and empowerment to become our best selves or be our best selves. And a lot of people are really looking at what is privilege and power related to like race and gender and, and all of these things right now. It's always been there, but it's it's up again in, in, in a very strong way. And so this is kind of like, how do you purposefully change and open yourself and your own consciousness to understand ourselves and the, the world around us? So I just wanted to like say that and then kind of come back to this idea of intersectionality intersectionality is usually one of the the first things that gets learned in diversity, equity, and inclusion trainings of understanding that we have these multiple identities that intersect and overlap. And when we start to dive into intersectionality and recognize how diverse we all are, that's really important because each person as a unique individual may have their own identifiers 
and then how they present and show up in the world and the way that they're treated as well. And so I think that talking about intersectionality, it like brings awareness to having compassion and understanding that every person we come across is a unique being and to treat each other with respect uh, for who we are and, and curiosity and care. That's just like a big aspect that I wanted to say that I think is really important. Privilege itself, you know, depending on wh- who you are, where you are, and what privileges you have, recognizing them, how do you then accept and harness your privilege to be able to use power properly to support things, whether it's your your family or projects or movements in the world or use your resources. So I think that's like really what's underneath the purpose of this episode is like, okay, what is privilege and power and how are you using it, whoever you are? I agree. And I think that what you said about making a conscious effort to change, to be your best self really applies too. Because I know a couple episodes back, we talked about how to how to cope with change. So I think we will talk a little bit more about that too. But I think also something I've been thinking about a lot too, with recent events, sometimes when we're feeling like hurt or upset, we get, we tend to get swept away by our, by our emotions and almost controlled by them. And I think when we recognize the need to make like a conscious change and to to do the research to really look at all all these things that we've been talking about with privilege and you know how can we help ourselves how can we help others how can we be more accepting and and seek out solutions that are helpful for everyone let's say in the best ways i think I think that all those things are connected, let's say. So yeah, I, I know a few weeks back, Susan, you had mentioned or touched on utilizing things like touchstones and antidotes and interventions. And I don't know if you want to talk about any of those things today, but I was just kind of recalling that. And uh, I was wondering if that applies here. It does. I th- and I think we'll probably end up circling back to privilege and p- power a little bit later. But in terms of looking at coping mechanisms and how to support yourself and others. We talk a lot about self-care. I'm not sure. Sometimes people have like a pretty broad idea of what is self-care. It means I rest. It means I eat good food. It means for people who are able to, I go get a massage. uh, I go do this. Maybe I go for a walk. There's like these different types of coping strategies or mechanisms that we use to be able to remain more calm or stable or regulated. Some of it has to do specifically with our nervous system and how shaky or chaotic we feel and having to find ways to come back to that center and and feel at ease. So As a therapist, I end up spending a lot of time talking with people about their self-care, different strategies they use, touchstones, antidotes, interventions, we like to say. (laughs) And some of them are very direct physical things, physical interventions that can help. 
breathing, for example. We hear a lot about that and that sometimes people find that a little cliche, but it's very, very true that remembering to breathe, take deep breaths or count to the breaths or feel yourself sitting on a chair, let's say, feel the contact between your body and wherever you're touching the ground. And taking the time to do that is what brings us back to our inner self and creates a regulation, a calmness, and can also create a deep sense of peace. And for some people, it's that sense of peace with practice, it can be more easily accessed. And it also depends on time spent in intentionally creating that for oneself. That can also be more, the breathing can be, it's like a portable (laughs) self-care touchstone that can be used at any moment. And it's about training oneself to remember to do it in some ways, almost more than the action itself is in those moments that we feel upset, angry, sad, dysregulated, chaotic, or we're in extreme grief or whatever it is, remembering what is the touchstone or touchstones that I can use and practicing that can bring a ton of relief so the first step really is remembering like, oh, I have, I have things I can use. And then of course, figuring out what your touchstones are. So breathing is one example. I like to talk with some of my clients about different types of foods and not so much the use of foods in terms of it can get overdone. But one example would be I've had clients where they use berries. So like a raspberry, blueberry are really good for if you want to awaken your your system to something else and change your state, like a state shift where it, it kind of takes you out of your thinking or your emotion for a moment and you're focused on the taste that's in your mouth. And I've had clients bring a pack of berries with them to very stressful situations like court proceedings, for example, where they're sitting in court and they just pop a berry in their mouth and it helps or like regulate. Another one is a hand massage. If you're able to do that, the use of pressure where you just squeeze with one hand, use the other hand, you just squeeze and press anywhere on your hands or legs to kind of ground or support you in becoming present in the moment. So, okay, that's a lot on physical (laughs) interventions and practices. Any thoughts before I kind of keep going? I hadn't actually thought about using like berries or, or food in any way in that respect. So I find that fascinating, just like being present with the taste of something and allowing that to sort of bring you to the present or to kind of cope better with a stressful situation. So that's really cool. Yeah. Another one is ice cubes, where it's like just if you just suck on an ice cube or you hold an ice ice cube in your hand (laughs) or you do something (laughs) or you put it on your head or you, you know, to kind of like awaken the system of like, whoa, we, we are intentionally focused. We just need to calm down right now. And this helps me focus my attention. 
in some way, it's a, it could be a distraction, but it also can be a focus where it's then, okay, I'm, I'm intentionally making it a point to do this to re-regulate and create a connection between myself and whatever this is, whether it's the breathing, the berries, the ice, something like that. And that's usually for like more acute situations when you're in very stressful moments or uh, we say touchstone, literally a rock or a stone. (laughs) So those are all really good, like in the moment, holding something in your hand or whatever is needed when very dysregulated. But then the practice itself of remembering I have a touchstone and then remembering that I can I can, I do have the power to regulate myself is often a way to calm oneself down of, oh, I have a choice or talking, having a conversation with yourself. What do I need right now? What do I need? Slowing down, asking yourself the question, what do I need and what can I do? And then waiting for that answer to come. You're making a connection to yourself instead of being swept away by the things that are happening around us or in an intense emotion, I actually have the power right now and the choice to either be with this emotion or make a choice to do something that might help me in a different way, either be with it or I need to do something to take me a little bit out of it or all the way out of it because this isn't helpful for me right now. There's a choice to be made in there. I love that. I've got probably too many thoughts, but I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm thinking about now is two two things to clarify. Th- those would be like good examples of one way to, or I guess several ways technically, to cope with the world around us amidst the chaos, right? Yeah, those are like the coping with the world around us, how we feel about it. In the, Those are like in the moment strategies. But then I think we're also talking about these larger issues like exposure to or secondary trauma to war that we're hearing about or, or seeing in media or you're closely connected to it. Those kinds of situations, depending on how close you are to it, you know, I'm thinking like, how practical is this if you're a person in, in war? That is a whole nother thing with trauma and PTSD and the complexity of that. What we're talking about right now is our general experience, daily lives, things we get exposed to or upsets we have in relationships. Let's say we get triggered in our conversation. How am I going to stay calm? Or something happened, a big change, for example, and how do I support myself and do the self-care? These are just examples of what you can do in the moment. And then the, the larger, broader self-care of support systems, like we talked about community in the previous episode, family, chosen family, activities that we do that support us feeling more at ease or happy or joyful in life. You know, those are all versions of self-care. These interventions are more like in the moment. And then, you know, we've got those larger considerations community, creative activities work really well with different ways of expressing oneself, you know, creative kinds of things like writing, art, music, theater, expressive aspects, 
or being a viewer of those things also can create conversations and liveliness and depth for us in our experience of life. I want to say also, I have a little bit of a bias <laughs> because I've done so much in personal growth work and mindfulness training, have experiences with being meditation, yoga, tai chi, teacher. My degree was in mindfulness-based mental health as a counselor. So I'm going to lean towards these mindfulness practices and the physical interventions of things like breathing and meditating, maybe more than other people would. But I do think that mindfulness practices are a huge antidote for regulation, calmness, and then the depth of internal self-insight, insight into yourself, and then being able to access peace and understanding. I'll be providing a couple resources with this podcast as well. One of them is an online article about foods that reduce stress. Another one I want to share is a book by John Kabat-Zinn, who is a pioneer in the field of mindfulness. I would highly recommend folks looking him up. I'll just do a quick little shout out <laughs> to him. So he's a professor uh, emeritus of medicine and the creator of the Stress Reduction Clinic and the Center for Mindfulness and Medicine, Healthcare and Society at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. He is a, a pioneer in helping people cope with stress, anxiety, pain, and illness, and created the mindfulness-based uh, stress reduction program that's offered in medical centers and hospitals. And this is a kind of East meets West, a West approach of bringing mindfulness and meditation into hospitals and clinics to support people in things like chronic pain. And we know that it works. That mindfulness is a scientific approach that really does work for people to reduce stress and pain and in very concrete, measurable ways. So I just wanted to bring him up and his book called Mindfulness for Beginners, Reclaiming the Present Moment and Your Life. And then there's a couple other ones I wanted to throw in there. One called Mindfulness, an Eight-Week Plan for Finding Peace in a Fran Frantic World. So that's really good for a two months worth of some kind of structured way of connecting to mindfulness practices so that you can experience it for yourself. And then one more called Practicing Mindfulness, 75 Essential Meditations to Reduce Stress, Improve Mental Health, and Find Peace in the Everyday. So talked for a long time again. <laughs> so I'll pause there. Oh, I'm having fun listening to it. So I'm glad you did. <laughs> I think mindfulness is, it's great that there's more and more scientific studies coming out. Uh, I feel like with each passing day about its effectiveness. So I'm glad that that you brought that up because I know for a long time there, there was some doubt among people, but it's like, it's good to see that it's being embraced as a way to like cope with things and maybe even like become a better person. I know a lot of people are trying to find ways to 
ideally make the world a more fair place for for everyone, even with things like affordable housing and and food and things, even even in the United States, like that's becoming more of an issue. And everyone's just trying to navigate this landscape uh, because things are changing around us all the time. So it's good to have all these resources and ways to uh, to cope and to regulate ourselves so that we can come up with ideas and ways to to make changes or find ways to help each other. There's a siren right there. I don't yep. know if y'all can hear it. <laughs> yeah, that's outside my house. Perfect timing. Let's come into this moment. Okay, there's a siren going off. How does that affect the nervous system? Yeah, and how do we navigate that under the, the blankets of variety of different types of privilege? Just all of it. And I think something we touched on also in one of the episodes is like, I don't know how relevant it is this time around, but it's popping into my head. So I'm going to say it anyway, is I think we may have talked a little bit about like, how do we become a a person of good character? And like, why is that important? That's related to sort of the aspect of change and self-development and like conscious effort to change that we were talking about earlier and, and learn more about ourselves and our positions and privileges or lack thereof. So just, I guess I was thinking, is there anything you wanted to touch on in, in that? And it's, if not, that's totally okay. Just something that popped into my mind. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking at the notes for this episode of, of getting ready for it and that the topic of that. And what I wrote down was about values and, and virtues. And what does it mean to be a person of good character? Well, what, what is good character? I have some ideas about that for myself. And it's usually related to what are my values and what's important to me. And are those virtuous in terms of the greater good of myself and, and humanity and the people around me? So th- that brings to mind, like, what are my values? What are your values? So I would suggest to listeners taking a look at that for oneself like what really are my values where do I place my energy and are there ways that I can enhance or keep going towards those values and all these topics are interconnected it might seem like we're a little bit all over the place in this episode I kind of feel like that but all of these things are interconnected so it's like okay what are my values Let's say I'm a white person who is like, whoa, I don't like what's happening. I, this George Floyd thing really messed with me. I want to be a better person. How am I going to do that in my daily life related to what I understand about race, for example, and what, do, do I have privilege? Do I have power or where is my power? Where are my values? okay, well, I care about what happened. So what can I do? My value is I care about what's happening to my fellow people. And I don't want to see that anymore in our world. So maybe my value has to do with equity and, and care and, and love for all. What are those, those virtues that are related to that? The other thing I, I wrote down has to do with authenticity and congruence. And it's like, for me, a person of of good character, this is just for myself, is someone who shows up authentically and is congruent. They do what they say they're going to do and they do their best to 
be aware of themselves and be truthful and honest and transparent and in the appropriate ways to be connected in their relationships. And so those are some of my values. I love that term of like values and virtues, because I feel like the value part also is connected back to our previous episode about community, because finding people with shared values is how we make friends. It's what we build communities on usually. And you can listen to the previous episode for more about that. I'm not going to linger there, but yeah, it feels like having clear values. So maybe like if you haven't identified those for yourself, maybe writing down a list of like what's important to you, uh, what's valuable to you in yourself and in others is could be like a really helpful, I don't want to call it a task, but a, a helpful exercise to even even that can be like helpful to cope or to understand ourselves and, and grow. And it's, I think maybe forms a good baseline of, or a good foundation of how we make our choices from there. Because like you said, if you want to help your fellow humans or change the way things are for the better for everybody, for example, like you need to understand your own values and your own mindset first before you can move forward, it seems like. Yeah. uh, Thank you so much for narrowing that in because absolutely like examining what are your own values, making a list of that. If you can't think of some Let's look it up. So what happens if I <laughs> look up <laughs> Google? Like, exa- yeah, right. So what happens if I examples of values, if I do that right now, integrity, courage, humility, honesty, creativity, compassion, respect, loyalty, kindness. And then we've got things like gratitude, generosity, autonomy, sustainability, spirituality, work ethic, perseverance, kindness, altruism, self-esteem, sincerity, caring. And sometimes in different activities like this of of expanding on one's own self-awareness of these things, it's you might even also put them in a scale. So you have a list and you're like, hmm, what are my top 10 or what's my number one? all of those, it's very hard to put in a scale. <laughs> like, no, I've got three that are tied at the top, you know, and, and what are those for you? And it's kind of circling back again to some of the deeper purpose of why, why we wanted to do this episode is, and, or what I'm connected to in this is broadening the idea into privilege as linked to the awareness and gratitude for what what we have. So like privilege, there's a thing with privilege that has to do with all these current discussions, right? And race and everything. Well, what about privilege as this larger umbrella of gratitude for what we have, who we are, and then making use from that privilege, what do I have the power to give? In some cultures, leadership is denoted by generosity and what you give versus what you have. In our Western capitalistic world, it's more like what I have is I have power if I have a lot of money (laughs) and I keep it and it's mine. This is the other way around. This is I have power and empowerment and I'm a leader 
when I have gratitude and generosity and I give and I give what I have. And what I like want to encourage is in the consideration of what privilege do you have? What power do you have that change can be created through acknowledging that, recognizing that as individuals and then offering with generosity what we can give with the privileges that we do have. And that doesn't mean necessarily draining oneself or becoming a martyr of some kind. It's what do I have and what can I give? Who am I and what do I have the capacity to offer? I love that. I feel like even if you have a, a, say someone has a particular skill, like sharing or teaching someone else that skill who is either interested or maybe needs that skill, like like that could be an example of, of giving too, right? Absolutely. It's, it's any version of giving, giving of yourself. And in some ways that is a more enriching aspect. It could be giving of a skill a version of mentorship of some kind. And it doesn't have to be formal. It's just showing up in life and back to good character, good friend. Like, what does that mean? And we also talked about that, like community and friendships and how to create a friend. That means giving of ourselves and our experiences. We have so much collective wisdom to share with one another. And all of us have overcome and learned and been through challenges and been through tough experiences that we can then offer uh, gifts of wisdom to each other. And it it does not matter how old you are. (laughs) That's the truth. I actually learn so much from kids sometimes just listening to their like, I don't know, enthusiasm and new ideas and different ways of understanding things. It's like kind of fun. Yeah. And the creativity and the expansiveness of it. Yeah. And I think even just giving your time to someone, being there to listen, maybe someone just needs someone to listen to them for a few minutes, maybe if they've had like a rough day. So I think that's pretty cool as well. I just thought of another example. I'm like, oh no, I'm going to have so many resources for this episode. (laughs) It just popped in my mind. I I love this one. So there's a book called The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. And it, uh, I'm not remembering the name of the author right now, a French man who was completely paralyzed. And the only thing he could move were his eyes, his eyelids and his eyes. He was hospitalized in in France, I want to say in the 50s. I could be totally wrong. Anyway, they developed a system for him to be able to blink the alphabet. And he wrote a book by blinking the alphabet and shared about his experience of being completely immobile and only able to use his mind and his imagination to travel and find a sense of peace. When you're like asking me about what can we give, it's like, imagine that you're in the hospital, you can't move and you can't communicate and you don't even know if you're ever going to be able to communicate. And all you can do is blink and they're feeding you. And what happens to your consciousness through that process? And somehow they developed this system and the hope that would have come through that system and then the, the offering and the gift that this person gave by writing a book through that process. Now, what, what abilities did he have to be able to do that? He could blink. You know, what abilities do we have 
that we could give at any moment. And sometimes it's a smile. You know, there's another famous story in one of the personal growth programs I used to be a part of that they tell. Um, I think it's probably, you know, broader outside of that group, but about this person who wrote a suicide note, left it in their house and was walking along and went to the Golden Gate Bridge and they were going to jump off. And they had written in that note, if just one person looks at me or smiles at me, I won't do it. And they did, you know, they were walking along and somebody smiled at that person and they didn't complete suicide. So it's like, we don't really know these small acts of kindness or generosities, the impact that it's going to have on somebody else's life and what somebody's going through and the importance of the way that we treat each other on a day-to-day basis doesn't mean we're perfect. (laughs) And we certainly have our own behavioral stuff and chaos and anger and things and road rage and flipping each other off and all the stuff, right? Like we do that to each other in our world. But if we can focus on the best possible offerings and gifts that we can give each other of who we are and financial resources too, whether it's tithing or a percentage or $5 or giving somebody a dollar, you know, who's facing homelessness, stuff like that, like do it. And I think with all of this, I'm reflecting on everything you just said, but about like privilege and and what can I give and all of these things. I feel like the not just the concept of, but sort of the the action of acceptance is important too. And like acknowledging what is within our control and what is outside of our control, because there are some things we just don't have control over, but we can control how we respond to certain situations. We can make choices and utilize the things we do have control over to move forward, let's say, or make a difference. Absolutely. And and I'm coming back to because of what's happening in Israel, and I know we'll spend more time on that later, of okay, so you're reading a news article, you see an image or watching the news or whatever, as our audience here in this podcast are mainly folks that probably have access to that. I just want to acknowledge that. It is like, okay, then you feel that pain of seeing that image or whatever it is. Where's that pain coming from? Underneath the pain is I care. I have the value of kindness and caring and empathy. Why are we sad and angry? Because underneath that is that we care and we don't want to see that happen. And we don't really want to live in a world where these things are happening. And we love our children and we love each other. But then it's very complicated of our ideas and beliefs and systems and all that stuff. But if you look at it emotionally, I care. Okay, I'm sad or I'm impacted. What do I do with that? The emotions are telling me something. Where do I place those emotions? How do I work with it or those thoughts to then do something that I have the power to do? So we transform it or alchemize it into something positive. Okay, well, then maybe I'm going to give a $5 donation to this local organization, or maybe I'm going to 
make sure that I do something kind today. If I go to the grocery store, I'm going to be nice to the cashier and say, how's your day going? How are you going to transform that pain into something purposeful and useful? That's so powerful. That's so beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I know we've got to start winding down, but was there anything else you wanted to add or any final thoughts? The main thing I really wanted to talk about was that like, okay, privilege and power and how do you make use of that? And that also can be balanced or the awareness of like how much energy do you have and taking care of your own self is really important, right? If I don't have the energy for myself to then go and treat someone with kindness, then, you know, we need to take care of ourselves. So I think like to summarize, sort of an interesting episode. (laughs) It's like (laughs) power, coping, self-care, mindfulness. I would really encourage people to look at mindfulness more just because we really know that it works and it helps. It helps you stay centered and can support the process of difficult challenging emotions and then also support the process of enhancing and a sense of peace and happiness and calmness to then have the power to be able to do more of what you want to do and make changes within yourself and the responsibility for ourselves and also the acts that we're doing in the community The resources that I'm going to give with these episodes, there's going to be, this episode is going to be three different books on privilege. So if somebody wants to dive into that topic of the, of privilege itself related to aspects of race, gender, all of, all of those pieces um, and diversity, I'll throw a couple of those in there. There'll be two that are like broad about privilege. One that's really about being culturally aware. So three of those, and then three for mindfulness. So if anybody's interested in looking at those, and then I would suggest taking a look at John Kabat-Zinn. And then I was going to throw in the one about foods, (laughs) (laughs) diet, exercise, right? (laughs) Yeah, all of it, all of it. Yeah, thank you so much for for coming up with all those resources. And just for you guys listening, I will have all of those resources listed on um, the Instagram page for Comfortable Change, which is just Comfortable Change, as well as Susan's website and all this information we'll have there. And your website, Susan, is bouldersamitacounseling.com, right? Yes. B-O-U-L-D-E-R, just for those of you who are curious. (laughs) Um, And I'll be publishing my own website soon with all of this information as well. So keep an eye and an ear out for that. And any final thoughts? Oh, just to thank you so much for taking the time for this subject and having me. And I know it's broad and, and specific at the same time. And I hope that something in this episode sparked something in supporting who whoever is listening. Yeah, me too. Well, thank you so much for being on again. Susan and I are going to be continuing these conversations going a little deeper. It might be a couple weeks before you hear the next episode after this. There will be separate ones not related to the episode Susan and I have been doing. There's a couple other in the works, so keep your eyes out for that. And um, otherwise, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. That really helps the channel. And I think that's it. Have a wonderful, wonderful day or night or whatever whatever it is that you're listening to this. (laughs) 
Hey guys, thanks for listening to Comfortable Change, the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. I'm always looking for feedback, so if you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like to hear about, you can reach me at Comfortable Change on Instagram. See you next time.